What's the best gift that you've received lately? Uh, for, for me, I'll just share a quick story. It, it was definitely the best gift we've received lately is the gift of our son. Our son was born in December, our second child, and uh, there's some context to this that made it even more special for us because uh, we had planned to give birth on, on the Tuesday, and so in these COVID times, on the Saturday, we had to go to the hospital and have a COVID test. And uh, so we could go into and have the operation and, and, and be in the wards and all of that. But uh, what would happen that on Friday morning, he decides to come early before we're able to have any of our tests. So uh, in the middle of the night, I call my brother to come uh, watch my daughter so we can go to hospital. And then I'm making a plan to go home and take her to grand and grandpa. And it, it was a, a whole big chaos and mess. Uh, but it was a beautiful thing that we got to have and enjoy the birth of our son. Um, but that was uh, somewhat short-lived holding him because we were only with him for a couple minutes before he had to be taken off to the ICU. He had some breathing problems, and we later found out he had pneumonia. And to make the problem even worse, because we hadn't had our COVID tests, Tals couldn't see him for, until she had that done, which, take, which took about another 30 hours or so. And the heartbreak in her life and in our lives over that next day and a half or two days was just immense, and we just felt this weight. We just wanted to be with our boy. And uh, eventually, we were able to go and see him. Uh, and that, sometimes, that, in some ways, made it even worse, because he had so many wires and monitors all over his arms. Uh, we couldn't really hold him or, or touch him or properly or, or even see his face. He had some things on his head. And uh, finally, a few days after that, the nurse said the words we were longing for, would you like to hold him? And we got to hold our boy. And it was just such a beautiful moment, uh, especially for Tal. She got to just bond with him. And we, we started that moment of bonding with the newest member of our family. There's something beautiful about family, isn't there? Something that matters so much to us. And uh, today, Jesus is talking, us, talking to us about that. The gift of being in his family. The gift of being in his family. And what that means for us. And we're going to just be unpacking three things that I think Jesus is highlighting for us this morning. So if you could go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. We're in a series. We're just going through the book of Mark. And uh, today we're in uh, Mark chapter 3. And I'll give us some context that uh, puts this these verses in, in its place. So um, Jesus has been ministering to the crowds. He's been uh, doing ministry and healing people and preaching and teaching. And now he's gone home. But uh, popular Jesus, the crowd, has now followed him home. And so he goes outside and he starts engaging with them. Uh, even if he's tired, even if he's uh, just needing time of rest, and his love, he goes to engage with the crowd. And his family are seeing this, and they think he's out of his mind. They don't, they don't know who he is yet. So they're thinking, this guy is just delusional and crazy. Uh, and Jesus uses this whole moment as a teaching moment. So let's read together, and then we'll unpack it a bit. Mark 3, from verse 31 to 35. It says, His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? 
looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and brother. It is my brother and sister and mother. And that's where we're ending today. And just becoming clear here that Jesus is obviously using this moment as a teaching moment. And throughout the book of Mark so far, Jesus is showing us several things about who he is. And one of just three quick things that I think are important for us to realize and just see in light of what Jesus is saying of who he is. He's saying, firstly, he's not just a popular guy. He's not just a man with a particular following. He's not just an inspirational speaker or or he's not a narcissist with some popularity complex. He is God who's come in the flesh. And so it would be natural that people would flock to God. But that more than that, he's calling people to believe in him. He's calling people to repent of his sin and believe in who he is. He's come on a mission to save and to rescue the lost. So he's very clear about that and what he's doing to call people to himself. But today, Jesus is introducing something very important to the understanding of the gospel. And it's this, that Jesus feels closest to his people. He's not rejecting his earthly family. He's not saying he hates them. But he's saying Jesus is most close to his people. I think this is so important for us because we understand uh, the God of love we know. Because Jesus, you know, it's true that God loves the world in a general sense, but God's people get to know and experience a particular love that is deeper and greater than anything else. There is a distinction between Jesus' earthly family and his spiritual family, saying his spiritual family is his true family. That's the central point he's making here. And it's true for us, if you're a Christian, that we get particular blessings that only the spiritual family receive. Only we receive grace. Only we get the spirit. Only we get uh, the privilege of understanding the scriptures and the joy and guidance and protection and all these beautiful things. It's a privilege to be in his family. But as we know, not everyone is in the family. And so Jesus is speaking to the crowd, one, encouraging them that you can be in the family, but also then as a teaching moment, telling us and them, what it looks like to be in the family. And so when Jesus says, who are my mothers and brothers? He's not being sarcastic and saying, who do they think they are? He's saying, literally, who are they? This is who they are. And then he goes on to tell them. He says, what does it look like to be in Jesus' family? So this morning, I want to just put out three points. That being in his family affects our believing, our belonging, and our behaving. Being in his family affects our believing, our belonging, and our behaving. And of course, Jesus majors on that last point. He says, whoever does the will of God, he's my family. But I think there's two things that come before that that are implicit in what we're seeing in the situation. And the first is this, that being in his family affects our believing. And we see this in, in the disciples, something, something has changed And in our lives, maybe you're a Christian, when you're confronted with the good news of the gospel, it demands a response. This groundbreaking news of the gospel, we we can't consider it and remain neutral. The good news that Jesus has come to seek and save us, that he has died on the cross for us, that he's risen from the grave, that he is at the right hand of God right now, that is um, evidence that demands a verdict. 
It didn't just claim, like every other religious figure throughout history, to know a particular way to God. Jesus is unique in that he came claiming to be God, and he demonstrated it through his life. And so this is evidence that demands a verdict. And this is some of the context we're seeing in the book of Mark, because over the last chapter and for a little bit still to come, we're looking at responses to Jesus. Jesus has made it very clear, this is who I am. And we'll see this again and again in the book of Mark. Jesus is very clear about making his identity plain and simple, but then calling a response from us to that. And over the last couple chapters, we've seen a few different responses to Jesus. The beginning of uh, chapter 3, we start seeing the emergence of the crowd. The crowds begin to follow Jesus. Uh, and he's popular, and there's a whole sort of momentum around this guy. And we're seeing that people are getting caught up in the moment, and there's so much excitement. But as with the crowds, they come to Jesus very quickly, and they leave him just as quickly. And there isn't... Uh, as much devotion to the person of Jesus. And then we see the, the demons and how uh, they, they know exactly who Jesus is. There's knowledge of who this Jesus is. But they're missing, and of course I'm not saying that they can repent, but they miss the central element of salvation, which is repentance. And in many ways, the demons can represent us at times when we can know a lot about Jesus and use all the right Christian words and respond to him at a surface level, but deep down we haven't responded in repentance and faith. Maybe we reflect more or reflected in more or resonate more with the family of Jesus and what we're seeing here. They know Jesus, the human. They don't, haven't recognized that Jesus is both God as well. So they've got a familiarity about the person of Jesus without worship for him. This is Jesus that they've grown up with. They, they know him. This is the same little boy who cried as a baby and, and, and grazed his knees and the, the teenager had tummy bugs and all of those sort of things. He's a human in every way. And they just, they are unable to see who he is yet. Later on, they would come to believe. They would become Christian. Um, his family members, we see the book of James and Jude in the Bible. Those are his brothers. And we read about uh, all those sort of interactions later on, they do come to worship him. But at this moment, this can reflect some of our current walk with Jesus and our response to Jesus. Maybe you've grown up in a, in a Christian home or you went to a Christian school. You've had some kind of Christian influence. You know a whole lot about Jesus, but haven't maybe responded to him yet as fully. And yet we're encouraged by what we see in the lives of the disciples as well in that they have responded to the person of Jesus, they are convicted of who he is. And so they said, yes, Jesus, we'll follow you. And they give their lives to him and following him with all their hearts. There are a couple of different responses to Jesus. And I just want to make it pretty clear here that this is both a choice of the disciples, but just as much it's a choice of God to draw them to himself. We see here that they, the disciples come to him because he has drawn them. And this is the good news of what's happened in our lives. Like God has done the work to draw us to himself, if you're a Christian. There's the sort of a universal, general call of God that um, 
he's made the gospel known to all the nations, and it's our job to do that more, and we can see it in the scriptures and the message of Jesus is plain. But then in our personal lives, the gospel has come to be a spoken in a way that we could not help but ignore it. There was a moment in our lives, if you're a Christian, you had to respond to it, and God helped us do that. In some ways, we call this the difference between general and special revelation. It's like the theological terms that general revelation in the Bible and in creation, who God is, is sort of clear, but we need a sort of special opening of our eyes to see who he is and to understand and see the weight of, our, of the gospel for us. And that's what he's done. He's opened our eyes to see what is true about him and given us faith to grab a hold of him. Uh, and if this idea of God's sovereign grace is uh, maybe confusing and all analogies are very flawed, but this one might be helpful. Uh, recently, recently you know, I'm sort of getting into gardening a little bit. I'm not very good at it. Uh, every plant that I own tends to die. But what I do know about it is if you want to buy a bag of seeds, you put it in the soil, right? I'm a genius already. And then you water it. And you sort of just keep that going for a while, and eventually the seed pops out of the ground. You've given the environment that will make it grow. The soil is warm, you've watered it, and eventually the seed pops out of the ground and it points towards the sun. And it grows towards the sun. And that's what's happened to us. God has warmed the soil of our hearts. He's watered us with the good news of the gospel, and we've burst out of the ground and we're grabbing a hold of the sun. That is a picture of what God has done to make us alive and help us believe. I want us to just quickly read uh, a bit of a passage from John 6 that sort of highlights this a bit more and, and says something that at the end that I, want, I hope encourages us about how we can hold on to him for dear life going forward. And some of the context here is that Jesus has fed 5,000 people um, with bread and fish, and now he's typical Jesus using it as a teaching moment, and he says, people, I am the bread of life. And if you eat of me, you'll never be hungry again. What he's saying is, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And the people, they can't believe what, what he's saying. And this is where we come in. You have John 6, verses 60 to 69. It says, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked him, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe, and he even knew the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Isn't that, that last uh, two, two verses just so encouraging to us? Like this is what we have come to believe, that you are who you said you are. God has done the work in helping us believe, and for many of us that may have been a process, maybe even you this morning here or online, this is currently still a process. Maybe you're in the middle of figuring out who Jesus is uh, and deciding, like, what could my response to him look like? We all have our own journeys, and you can bring your questions with you in that journey. Bring it to Alpha. There we go, a little plug. But Jesus is at work in your life and helping us come to believe in who he is. We see in the lives of the disciples that they are just so convinced of who Jesus is. Yes, they might not understand everything. Yes, it might also have been a hard teaching for those 12. But their response is, Lord, where will we go? You are the, ones who have, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. They're just so convinced of who Jesus is that they are ruined for anything else. And this is some of what happens to us when we enter into the family of God. By faith, that is what has joined us in. But at the same time, that's what, it's what uh, the foundation of us being in the family looks like. That we know that there is no other Savior. There is no other uh, formula or pro tip or, or like thing we have to do. It's only... Jesus. We've put all our eggs in the basket of Jesus. We're holding on to him to be for us what we could not be for ourselves, to save us. And so we are people fully captured by the conviction of who Jesus is. It's what happens to us when we're joined into the family. And the second thing um, that being in his family affects us is our belonging. It's, it's clear from the text, Jesus is talking about this issue of family. He says, who are my mothers and my brothers and sisters? He, he's talking about his family. What does this family look like? And he, he, he's, he's implying and teaching us here that there is a new belonging that we can have, a new family that we can have, a new community that we can be a part of. As I told you earlier, uh, bonding with our son Aaron was amazing in the hospital. But the best moment for us came a little bit after that, when uh, a, few, a few days later, it was a bit of a process, he was in the NICU for a while, he, he, we were, the, the doctor came to us and said, he's, he's good to go home. And obviously, we were so excited and happy, and uh, we put him in the car seat, got in the car and did that very nervous drive home, uh, your parents will know about it, and uh, we, went, we went to go pick up our daughter from Granny and Grandpa's house, and we got home all together as a family. And we got to sit in our lounge all together. And our daughter Hannah got to meet Aaron for the first time. And it was just this beautiful moment. We were, I'm even getting teary now. It's like we were all just crying together, so happy with what we've been through, just so overwhelmed with the privilege of our little family. That sense of belonging, there is just nothing like it. And the gospel tells us that that sense of belonging we have is like that on steroids. We get it so much deeper. It's also an eternal family. It's incredible news. When we become Christian, we haven't just received physical life. We've received spiritual life. And we've been put into a new spiritual eternal family. And one of the things that's so incredible about this 
is that we've, we've become children of God, and he's become our father. And um, the word the Bible uses to describe that this change is the word adoption. It says we've been adopted as his kids. Like once we were not his kids, now we are his kids. We've been brought in to the family. We've been adopted. We've become his children. He's become our father. I just want to pause here for a moment because I know that uh, for many of us, um, maybe you've come from a broken home or, or, or there's family pain or family trauma or, or family frustration or maybe uh, you haven't had a dad growing up or maybe you've had a terrible dad growing up. When we come to the Father, sometimes we, we come with our baggage. And, and so A.W. Toza, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If, you're, if we're coming with our baggage, no doubt that's going to paint the, the picture of God that we see in our mind. And I want to ask that question to you, friends, because what kind of family do you think you've been joined into? What kind of family does it look like? As I said, we can come with our baggage. We can come with our pain. We can come with all the things we carry with us. But Bible's very clear in telling us that God is a perfect father. And we get to enter into a new kind of perfect family. It's like unlike anything we've ever experienced. Of course, here in the church, in our hearts, while sin still reigns, we're going to move towards perfection more and more as, as we grow in holiness. And I'll speak about that a bit later. But just in the kingdom of God, I want you to just picture one day in heaven how perfect the family feel is going to be. It's going to be incredible. It's going to outweigh anything we can even imagine. And there's this picture of being adopted into his sons. We were lost. Now we are found. We were rebels now we are adopted, adopted sons and daughters. And so 1 John 3 verse 1, it says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And maybe this is happening to you right now. Maybe this is what you are currently journeying through right now. This is an incredible privilege and my, my plea to us is that we would partner with God in responding to what he's doing in our lives. And Doug spoke about this two weeks ago when he spoke on the passage that was about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and um, the unforgivable sin as it's known. And it's this idea of responding to what Jesus is already doing in our lives that is central to what it, what it means to come to belong in his family. As I said, we're all coming with, with our own weight and our own um, presuppositions and our, and our own baggage. And maybe you're trying to figure out what you think about Jesus. And maybe you've come, come from such a past that there's a lot of uh, nonsense theology to undo. Maybe you just come from a terrible church or you've grown up in a particular setting that was uh, particularly ungospel and you're working through it all. Uh, and these days, there's this thing called um, deconstructing our faith. You know, everyone's deconstructing their faith. 
you hear stories of, of these guys who are even pastors, amazingly influential now atheists. They've deconstructed their faith. They've become enlightened and deconstructed their faith. And what's so heartbreaking is you don't see anyone deconstructing their deconstruction. You don't see anyone doubting their doubts. The point I'm making here, though, is that there is a belonging that transcends the questions you have. And you can come to him without, you don't have to have everything figured out. What matters is the strength of your relationship to him. I'll give you one example, right? I've spoken a lot about my family. I'm going to keep doing it. I love my wife. We have disagreements. Usually they originate with me. And uh, we, we have some conflict at times. We have some questions. We have some things we figure out. Uh, some, some doubts we have about certain things and we're figuring out, I'm not going to suddenly start deconstructing my marriage, right? Of course not. There's a strength to the marriage that transcends the difficulties and questions we have. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. You might have um, questions about faith. You, there might be a hundred things you haven't figured out. What do you believe about the person of Jesus Christ and how is your relationship with him? What is that looking like? Everything else is a secondary thing. How is your relationship with Jesus Christ? How are you responding to what he is doing in your life? And week after week, we have the privilege of coming together as his a local, as a picture of his local family in this church and celebrating his goodness to us, celebrating what he's done in our life, encouraging each other to grab a hold of him again. This is just a sense or a picture of as we belong together, we're magnifying the belonging that we have in the gospel in him. And I just want to encourage you, like if you are on the faith journey and you're figuring out where you stand, we want this to be a place you can feel free to belong before you believe and certainly before you behave. You can belong here. This is a community of faith, but our, our ultimate hope and heart would be that as you grow in the glory of belonging together, we would do that in a way that would magnify and help us understand the belonging we have with Jesus and Father in heaven. There is a belonging that transcends everything. And so that is the context that Jesus gives, the implicit things Jesus gives before he gives his knockout blow. And he says that being in his family affects our behaving. It says, verse 35, those who do the will of God are my family. They are my brothers and sisters and mothers. But why has he preached on this last week? It's, it's not that we serve God in order to become family, right? It's that we're in his family and then therefore that changes how we live. We're not living to earn salvation, but because Jesus has already earned it for us, it changes the way we live. It changes how we live. Now, this doesn't fit often in, in our fallen world. Uh, words like holiness, words like obedience, words like Christ-likeness meet us with some kind of offense. You know, like, whoa, hang on, hold your horses. Like, really? Is that, is that a requirement for me? Like, if other Christians want to do that, that's fine. I've got no beef with them, but don't force it on me. Like, is this something I have to do? We live in a, in a you-do-you world. Only God can judge me sort of thing. 
And I just want to call us back to this. Like, it, it really does matter. But maybe not in the way we think. But when we hear the words obedience, we think of it more in terms of legalism and, and just in like this self-propelled effort. It's more about other things. And I'm just going um, to explain maybe three of them. Because here's the thing, obedience to God isn't extremism. Holiness is not extremism. It should be the norm of the Christian life. And this is personally very convicting. If you're anything like me, you are becoming increasingly aware of the sin in your, in your life. And uh, there's so much we need to change. But this is the normal pattern of the Christian life, that we long to follow more the will of God. And I think there's just three things I want to point out about why this matters so much. Firstly, it's important in light of who we are. If you're Christian, it's, imp it's important in light of who we are. When you become Christian, your, your identity changes. As I said, you were lost. Now you're found. You were a, an orphaned rebel. Now you're an adopted son and daughter of God. Something has changed about your very nature. You were dead, and now you're alive. And, and so this is uh, not so much about trying to become something we aren't. It's more about being what we already are. It's more about being what we already are. Our lives have changed. Maybe explain it like this. If you were to go to na nature or a farm or something and look at a pig and say, pig, fly. Come on, piggy, piggy. Go and fly. That's ridiculous. Of course, pigs can't fly. What's happened in the gospel is that God has changed us from being pigs to eagles. Now go fly. We've been changed from being pigs to being eagles. So be who you are. What do eagles do? They soar. They fly. It's not about trying to fly as a pig. That's not at all the point. Our identities have changed. So be who you are. But of course, it's also about becoming more like who we already are. As we know that while we might be eagles, there's something in us that prefers to be a pig. And our whole life is spent fighting again to be like the eagle we are, even though our inner being and our sin prefers us to roll around in the mud, in the mud of life. So it's that word we like to use, sanctification. <laughs> It's the, the character that in our character and behavior we'd come to look more like Jesus. It's not a case of fake it till you make it. There is hope for real growth and transformation in becoming more like who we already are. We already are righteous. He already has made us his prized position. He already has put his spirit in us. He already has done all these things. And so it's, it's um, grace-fueled effort. That by his, grace, by his grace, by His Spirit at work within us, we can be more like who we already are in the gospel. It's not a case of trying to become a better you or, or this sort of self-help thing of you've got everything for, for uh, hope and change within you. You just have to unlock it. It's that our identities have been completely changed in the gospel and we can live more like who He's already made us to be. If you look at... Ezekiel 36, chapter 26 and 27, it says something of the change we've experienced and what God has actually done. It says this, I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. See that glory? We take out our heart of stone, give us a new heart and a new spirit so that we can live with new power as he works within us. We can become more like who we already are. And finally, it's important in light of whose we are. It's important in light of whose we are because we, we belong to him. And this uh, road of changing our behavior is more about grabbing a hold, more hold of the God who we already have. It's, it's about getting more of the God we already have. It's about enjoying more of him who already lives in us. And so there's this effort that we put in, not to earn, but to enjoy more of what has already been earned for us. Uh, if you look at Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, it encourages us. It says, lay, uh, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily enslaves us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That verse is so encouraging. It tells us that a life with Jesus is meant to be spent running towards him. And it tells us not only to put sin to death, right, to stop being the pig that loves the mud, it tells us something that's actually, I think, for our culture, maybe even more important. It talks about every hindrance. Wow. Like there's going to be things in our life that might not be sinful that also don't help us run, that'll turn our running into walking. They might not be sinful, but they'll turn our running into walking. And I'm going to leave you to figure out what those things might be, but in the decisions we make, in the lifestyles we long for, in our possessions, in our choices, in our decisions, in our relationships, whatever it is, there'll be things that turn our running into walking, which we're getting told here is also a problem. Because the point of being in his family is to run after him more and to long for more of him and to prize him more than anything else. Like it calls it a race. At the end of every race, there's a prize. Unless you're at the Bulls' Bowls Day, then that's negotiable. But... At the end of every race, there's a prize. He is our prize. He's the one we're running toward. Let us lay aside every sin and weight because we want nothing more than more of him. And this life distracts us. Sin destroys us. This life distracts us. We want more of Jesus. We want more of what he's doing in our hearts and lives. Lord, how may I run more towards you? Jesus gives us a new heart. A new life empowers us to run after him. Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what uh, obeying the will of God looks like. He just gives us the principle. He says, my family love to obey me. My family love to uh, obey the will of God in their lives. And it would be our joy to run after him. Just as we close, I just want to read a quote by a guy called J.C. Ryle. He's an old English uh, bishop. And he, he says something to us of, of something of what God has done to remove the obstacle uh, it, it, that keeps us from being in his family and growing in his family and running after him. And he actually talks about this uh, behavior change that happens to us 
uh, when we become Christian, he says this. We must be holy because this is one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. Jesus is a complete savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of sin, uh, the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. This morning again, that's what we get to celebrate. That Jesus has broken the power of sin. That he's undone its curse. That we get to live in the freedom of the salvation he's purchased for us. And so we can run after him with joy. Placing all our eggs in the basket of Jesus. Enjoying our fellowship with him and his family. and Pursuing him more in how we live. And uh, we're going to just respond now uh, in song. But I want to end just with that opening question, what's the best gift that you've received? If you're a Christian, it is undoubtedly the gift of being in Christ's family. Would we celebrate that again this morning? And maybe if you're not Christian yet and you're entering in, like that is the central question for you this morning. Like, are you in the family? How can you get in the family? What does looking in, being in the family look like? This is an offer open to you as he works in your life to open your eyes to see the gospel more clearly. I'll just pray that God would give us the gift and, and the gift of, of, of a response and help us pray that God would just empower us to live more closely with him and follow him more uh, in our lives as we love him and we pursue him more than everything else. So let's just pray together and we can respond in song and pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are. That you, have got, you are the God who has come to rescue and redeem your people. And that even this morning, we get uh, the joy of grabbing hold of you again and saying, Yes, God, there is no one else. Uh, not just that you um, encourage us when we're sad or, or make us happy. And we're so thankful that you do that. But that you have saved us from our sin. And you have taken care of what we needed most. And we, we just want to say thank you. And we want to say, Lord, we, we are grabbing hold of you again this morning. We pray that you would empower those who are on the journey towards faith in Jesus. Grab a hold of you as you do what you do. What you do, what only you can do in working in our hearts. We just pray that you would help us enjoy the gift of fellowship with you more. We, we want to be people that dwell in your presence. And then enjoy who you are. And uh, we pray, God, that we would come to know you more as our Father. Not as some sort of distant relative. But Jesus, that you would be um, God to us in, in a daily relationship as we pursue you. We just pray that you would empower us to live holier lives. And that we would want, long to do that more. You would help us figure out why it's so important. And that you would help uh, grow our faith as we pursue you more uh, day by day. We love you. Uh, help us respond and just celebrate what you've done to make us your family. Amen.